0: The Secret Church Podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For the Secret Church 9 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC9. This is Secret Church 9, Episode 5. So here we go. The church teaches. All right, we've talked about two things so far the church, church does. See if you can remember them. The church evangelizes, and the church baptizes. Now, the church teaches. They devoted themselves, this is verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, to the apostles' teaching. If Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and hence the source and goal of its entire life, true growth is only possible in obedience to Him. Conversely, if the church becomes detached from Jesus Christ and His Word, it cannot grow, however active and successful it may be. I was going to say, now there is a trend today in our day to minimize the teaching of the word, say it's not that important, teaching of the word, like it's optional, just have conversations or just do arts. Or I, I was in a seminar one time. This is when I was in seminary, and I should have said something, but I didn't. It would have been a bit arrogant for me to say something, though. This guy was giving a presentation on how teaching and preaching in the church were of old, and no longer necessary, and no longer important, and he gives this whole spiel about how music has re- replaced teaching, and so it's, it's music, and, and other things, and, and so I, I wanted to raise my hand at the end of this hour talk, and ask him, if that was true, then why did he not sing his lecture? So, anyway, and I was thinking, it was that battle, do I say something? No, I'm just student don't say anything so but this is this is something the church is devoted to has been devoted to for 2000 years i don't think we've quite reached the zenith in history that this man was surmising like all throughout scripture and history we see power of the spoken word and yes technology affects a lot of these things but the church teaches because the church is a community formed by god's word or saved By the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. I should say we're saved by Christ through his word. That's how we're saved. We don't make up our own path to salvation. Scripture says this is how to be saved. Not just saved, we're sanctified through the word. This is the, this, the Bible is the book that is given to us. And as it's taught, we grow into the image of Christ. We're, we're reproved and corrected and we're training in righteousness and we're servants of the word. We preach the Word, Paul says. That's central in the church. That's a command in the church, an imperative. Preach and teach the Word. So the church is a community formed by God's Word, and the church is a community focused on God's Word. Why? Why is this book so important in the church? Because the church reveres the magnitude of God's Word. The church knows the significance of God's revelation. God reveals Himself as the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Not in the beginning was the song, or in the beginning was the drama, or in the beginning was the music. In the beginning was the Word. This is revelation. Jesus is God's communication to the world. His Word. And... In 1 Samuel 3, there was, it was the days of Samuel. There was no frequent vision of the Lord. God raises up a prophet and it says the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at shallow by the word. So God reveals himself as the word and then God reveals himself through the word. What we see of the greatness of God, it's coming about because of his word all throughout scripture. Creation formed by his word. Storms still by his word. He speaks and the waves obey. Fevers are cooled. Demons are cast out by his word. Sins forgiven. The blind are made to see. The dead are raised to life by his word. The entire universe responds to the word of God. Think about it. God says, whom will you compare me to? Lift up your eyes and see who created all of these. He who brings out their host by number. Calling them all by name, talking about the stars, by the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. The stars in the sky come out every night by the word of God. I think about that. In our, in our galaxy, there's a, what, a hundred billion stars? In our galaxy is one of Millions of galaxies filled with hundreds and billions and billions and billions of other stars. And we, our God, brings them out one by one and he calls them by name. Bob and Mary and Z145369 or I don't know what their names are, but our God does. And when he speaks, they they shine. And this is, this is one of the humbling, most humbling quotes for me. I read this a long time ago. Charles Misner, scientific specialist in relative theory. Misner, had, uh, Misner had, had studied Einstein. And this is his commentary on Einstein. The design of the universe is very magnificent and shouldn't be taken for granted. In fact, I believe that is why Einstein had so little use for organized religions, although he strikes me as a basically very religious man. He must have looked at what the preachers said about God and felt that they were blaspheming. He had seen much more majesty than they had ever imagined, and they were just not talking about the real thing. My guess is that he simply felt the religions he'd run across did not have proper respect for the author of the universe. The last thing I want to be said about me in the teaching of this word is that He was not talking about the real thing. And this is is why this word is important in the church. because, Because this word, the magnitude of this word, of what God has said, cannot be overestimated. The church knows the seriousness of man's proclamation. Even when we saw in Acts chapter 2, Peter stood up, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. The language there is to speak with seriousness and gravity. And you think about it. Oh, look at Second Corinthians 4. This is an amazing three verses together. Verse four, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Verse six, God said light shine out of darkness and he's shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So you got the God of this world blinding minds in verse four and the true God shining light in our hearts in verse six. And in the middle, what does it say? We proclaim, not ourselves, but Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Like, I hear people talk today about, we should to have casual conversations in the church. You don't need to, to teach. And, and obviously we see how light teaching supposedly has become in the church and filled with entertainment and jokes and all these, like, do we realize there is A true God over this world who is shining a light into hearts. And there is a false God, little g, God of this world, Satan. And the true God desires every person to enjoy everlasting joy in heaven. And the God of this world wants every single person to burn in hell. And in the middle, we preach Christ. Like, they don't leave room for casual, just talk. like, no, this is serious here. Is, lives are dependent on hearing the word of God. That's why the preacher or teacher exposes the voice of God. And we have this tendency to minimize in the church what God has said. And we maximize what we say. And we have all kinds of thoughts and opinions. And no, like we need this. We, we do it. What's dangerous is we, we cloak it with the word. We take, like, for example, like take Nehemiah, for example. <laughs> Nehemiah has been just classically abused as, well, this this is God's textbook on leadership in the church. And so we'll use this and we'll just talk about all kinds of leadership principles. And basically we take like leadership books and we take the principles there and we try to find them in Nehemiah. And the problem is when you get to Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 23, okay, this is God's textbook on leadership. Nehemiah says, In those days I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half their children spoke the language of Ashdod. They could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. So I confronted them, Nehemiah said, and cursed them, and beat some of them, and pulled out their hair. <laughs> leadership principle number 13. <laughs> You get mad, you confront people. You beat them. And then you pull the hair out of their heads. Like you're not pushing books by selling that leadership principle. But this is the deal. And you say, well, of course we would not say, well, then that's a leadership principle. Well, here's the danger. Now we're choosing which ones we like, which we don't like. And we're maximizing what we want to say. We're minimizing what God has said. Like, this is the key. We expose the voice of God. And in the process, we exalt the greatness of God when the Word of God is spoken and the greatness of God is revealed. This is why I hate it when preaching somewhere and somebody says, kind of introducing things and says, after a time of worship, then David's going to come up and speak. No. Like, what am I going to do? Well, you were worshiping, so now I'm just going to talk. No, like I'm going to speak. And, and the job of a teacher in the church is to speak in a way that people are gripped by the glory of God because His Word is being revealed. And when God's Word is revealed, we see its greatness and we worship. That's the whole design. Not turn off the worship meter when the song ends. No, turn it up when the Word is proclaimed. So, anyway, I, I, listen, we're never going to get through this. Um, some people say, well, you're kind of over-exalting the word, almost like it's too important. Look at Psalm 56.4. You've got to skip down a little bit. In God, whose word I praise, says it again in verse 10. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, Psalm 119. I will bow down. Psalm 138, toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for, you have st- for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. His word put on the same plane as his name, exalted. And so I want us I want to, this is, this is a book that we, we do, we revere it, and, and we must teach it. If we don't teach it, then we're not, we're not doing what the church is supposed to do. The church respects the authority of God's word. Apart from the word, the preacher's helpless. What, what, what do we, what do we say? Are we just, do we really think we have in our minds and our thoughts what people need to call them to obedience to? No, only the word has that. Like this is, and this is so, I, I remember it's one of the most poignant moments in my own life was sitting in a worship service and I was sitting down near the front and the guy who was speaking had a, uh, Real charismatic personality and uh, very entertaining. And he got up, first words out of his mouth, he said, I forgot my Bible tonight. I thought, problem number one. Cause I got mine. So, so he starts, he starts talking. He starts talking about how he'd prayed about what to say to us that night. And he said, I did all the things I, I do. I, I went and uh and got Mocha at Starbucks and I went and did this or that and, and took walks and I just trying to think through what, what does God want to say? And I did all these things and I, I just nothing ever came to me. And he was telling jokes kind of funny, and he got to the end and he said, So maybe that means God just doesn't have anything to say to us tonight. And 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 so he, he finishes and he sits down. And I'm sitting there thinking, bro, you got this book, which it'd have been helpful if you'd have brought, (laughs) but you got this book in here. There are 66 different books that are the word of God, like skip the mocha, open it up and you've got a word you don't have to find something, create something, go on a walk. Turn to Leviticus for all I care. Read it and you got a word from the Lord. You don't have to make something up here. Like This is the key. We don't have to make something. It's not upon me as a pastor to make up something to say to people. No. We teach the word and apart from the word, we're helpless. Absolutely helpless. Like I'm not the chef here. I'm the waiter. I don't, I don't, I don't make the food. It's there. My job is just to get the food to the table. Get it there hot. That's, that's what we do. So, apart from the word, the preacher is helpless. And apart from the word, the church is powerless. What are we going to build the church on? Your innovations? No. So the church recognizes the relevance of God's word next. How the word speaks to contemporary needs with eternal promises. That's the beauty. It's what Peter is doing. He he quotes all over the place from the Old Testament in Acts chapter 2. And he's bringing it to bear on what's happening right here. And that's what we do. We take this word and we teach it. And we show, the teacher shows how it applies Here. You see all these promises that I listed here. The Bible makes about itself promises of success and blessing, and guide, comfort, peace, wisdom, salvation, satisfaction. Like, why would we want to listen to anything else? Why do we want to listen to anything else? The church realizes the purpose of God's word. The purpose of God's Word. Now, here's the purpose of God's Word. Follow me. This is huge. This is not just for teachers or preachers to understand. This is for everybody in the church. We need to know this. God's agenda in Scripture to tell us about the glory of Christ. This book points us to one person, and it's Christ. He's at the center of it. And so, so everything in the book points us to Christ. But that's, that's not all. Okay, yes, to tell us about the glory of Christ and to transform us into the image of Christ. Okay, follow with me here. Let me show you the purpose of the Bible. Beginning God creates, Genesis 1, 1. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, he creates man in his image, in his likeness, right? In Genesis 3, sin enters the world. Third chapter in the book, the image of God is marred in man. And what you've got from there on, so from Genesis 3 on, is the story of how God is redeeming recreating man in his image. And then you get to the very end, Revelation chapter 21, new heaven and new earth. And well, look, look, look real quick at the end of, uh, end of Genesis chapter 3 when the Lord sent God, the man out of the garden. He drove out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden he, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So he's left out. From the tree of life. Well, you get to Revelation 22, listen to this. The angel of God showed me the river, the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of what? Life makes it come back here with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree are now for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it and His servants will worship Him. Some of the most beautiful words in Scripture, verse 4, they will see His face. That's where all of Scripture is headed toward. So think about it like bookends, okay? You've got man created in the image of God and marred image of God in man. At the end, You've got man recreated into the image of God, brought back to Him, and the middle is the story of how God does this. That's the purpose, and you see it. I've listed scriptures all throughout here. How everything I awaken your likeness, Romans eight twenty eight. Everything's working for the good of those who love God and are called according to purpose. Well, what's the good? Those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the whole point. Everything is headed toward that, that. We might be like Christ. We might be remade into image of our creator. And so here's the deal. What that means is, we need to be really careful. We've got to see this. The purpose of the Bible then, and this will sound a little bit heretical, I think, when you hear it. But go with me. The purpose of the Bible is not to answer every single question we have in the world. Like this book doesn't answer every single question in the world. There are so many things this book doesn't specifically address. What does this book say about teenage years? Like hardly any, nothing, nothing. It's a totally different picture there in this book. What does this book say about divorce recovery? You don't see, what does this book say about what to do with a 401k? I, and yet, and yet, if we're not careful, what we say, what we do is we come to this book and we, we, we hear people asking questions about those kinds of things. We say, well, what can I do with this book to try to help answer their questions? But that's not the purpose. That's that, that, this is the focus in the church's worship. Two options. Human tips are the divine text. Tips on financial victory and walking through divorce recovery and raising teenage children. I mean, you got spare the rod, spoil the child, but beyond that, like, you got all kinds of tips, though, being offered all across the church today that are either the latest book from the Christian bookstore being taught instead of this, or or this word being twisted to say something that it wasn't intended to, to say. And now, it's good motives. Again, it's pragmatism here, It's good motives. We want to help people walk these things. But follow this. When we focus on human, tip, human tips instead of the divine text, what do we do? We end up robbing ourselves of the truth that is necessary for realizing God's purpose in our lives. And God's purpose is to conform us into the image of Christ, right? Think about it. What is the, what is, what do we need on a Sunday? You think, well, I'm walking through this situation in life. Why are you going to tell me about the Moabites? And that's, that's the, that's the approach that so many wonder. Well, here's the deal. Don't miss it. This word about the Moabites here in the book of Ruth is promised by God through his spirit to conform your heart into the image of Christ and to help you know him and walk with him in step with his spirit. And sure, it may not speak directly to the, to the financial struggles you're walking through right now. But here's the deal. The, the beauty is when we focus on on this word and the purpose that it's given to us for, then, then we walk away. And yeah, maybe we don't have an answers from the preacher or teacher about how I need to walk through this financial struggle, but we do have the very spirit of God inside of us that we know... And not just not just going to give us answers and tips. He's going to walk with us through these financial struggles. He's going to form our minds and our desires in the process. And he's going to make us look more like Christ. And that's going to be better regardless of how much money we have in the end. That's what we need. When we don't get that, we rob ourselves of what we need for realizing God's purpose in our lives. And we rob God of the glory that is due His name. We start looking at different communicators in the church because they've got all the answers. No. No. I'm not that good. I know that. I don't have all the answers on divorce recovery or how to how to be a single mom or how to raise teenagers or how to manage their money. But, but I do have what is necessary, what is most helpful for bringing you into the image of Christ and getting you in touch with the one who will walk with you through whatever happens in your life. Many pastors can preach whole messages with little more than a tip of the hat to a clause or two taken from the biblical context A few, if any, recognize. Even more pastors have decided that using the Bible is a handicap for meeting the needs of the different generations. Therefore, they have gone to drawing their sermons from the plethora of recovery and pop psychology books that fill our Christian bookstores. The market forces demand that we give them what they want to hear if we wish them to return and pay for the mega sanctuaries that we have built. Here's the the other option. When we focus on the divine text instead of human tips, we fill ourselves with the truth that is necessary for realizing God's purpose in our lives, and we glorify God by becoming like Christ. And that's what we want more than anything. We want to become like Christ. The Word feeds the character of Christ in us and, and instills the conscience of Christ in us. He changes our hearts and our minds and then character, conscience, and then the word produces the conduct of Christ in us. So we begin to live out our faith. This is the beauty. All right, now follow with me here. When we get this word and it's changing our hearts from the inside out, we're beginning to love Christ more. We're beginning to think more and more like Christ. We begin to act like Christ. This is where life transformation happens. But if we just start with, well, people want to know what they need to do, and we tell them, all right, we'll do this. Here's some tips on this or this or this. Even good tips we give. Think about about teenagers struggling with purity, college students struggling with purity. Like we can say all day long, be pure. Do it. Be pure. Avoid sexual immorality. We can say that all day long, but until, until, Teenagers and college students are growing to love Christ and his word, and he's changing their hearts, and he's changing the way they think and they feel and they desire, where teenagers and college students begin to see that Christ is far more satisfying than anything else in this world put together. It's not until that happens they'll begin to live in purity. I mean, they may try for a few times to be pure, but it's going to fade away because we need Christ to do this in us and He's got to be formed in us and the Word does that. So many so many high school students go off to college and their faith is ripped apart within weeks. Why? Could it be that the character of Christ was never really formed in their heart and their minds for being to think Christianly so that some pagan professor can't just slash them down with one statement? We need this word. And church reveals the effect of God's word because when it's taught, when it's taught, the word elicits conviction. It cut to the heart in Acts 2. It's sharper than a double-edged sword in Hebrews 4. People begin to realize the gravity of their need and the greatness of God's provision. The word explains conversion. What I mean by that is it tells us how to be saved. You look in Acts 2:37. When people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, bow your heads, close your eyes, and pray a prayer to accept Jesus. No, he said, just saying, he said, he said, repent. Like, we we would be wise in the church to use biblical terms to explain conversion. It would be wise to do that. We don't, we don't want to mislead people, particularly in the name of trying to get as many people as possible to respond. I mean, we don't want them to stand on sinking sand that will prove hollow in the end. You look all throughout Acts. You see these two words over and over again. Sometimes repent is the only word that's used. Other times faith or believe is used. And sometimes repentance and faith are both mentioned. Conversion. Repentance, we turn. Conversion, when we are saved, we turn from our sin and from ourselves and, and believe. We trust in Christ as the risen Savior and the reigning Lord. So we teach that in the church. The word establishes a craving. The beauty is, as the very next sentence we have, after they receive the word and are baptized, it says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the teaching the Spirit of God through the Word, as we're led by the Spirit, we long for the Word. When people taste this word, they'll see how good it is and won't want anything else. Like it's that good. We can trust this word. It will create a longing and a craving in it. But, so that when when we get tried opinions from somebody else, we know, oh, that sounds good, but it, it's not this. So that's why the church teaches. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources at radical.net.